Turn with me, if you will, to the really the, the beginning of your Bible, Genesis 1 1. We've started a church wide series on the Apostles' Creed. This is the best summary of our faith. Thoroughly biblical, tried and true, packaged in a Trinitarian formula. That, it, that reflects the biblical data, this creed has stood the test of time and it still remains the best Christian affirmation of what we believe. So, we're taking a few Sundays, uh, seven to be exact, leading up to Lent and also uh, Easter Sunday to consider these extraordinary affirmations that we find in the creed, and then to drill down and see the biblical roots, kind of pull back some of the soil on, on this towering affirmation, this towering creed that, that, again, is so classical in the sense that it stood the test of time. And so we want to drill down and find those things and discover these things. That's what we're going to do today. So the first affirmation, of course, is I believe in God the Father Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth. Notice what the Bible says. In the beginning, God. (laughs) I believe in God. The Bible assumes God. In other words, the Bible does not start with an argument for the existence of God. It instead starts with a faith position, an affirmation... A confident affirmation that in the beginning, and of course that's the beginning of the material existence of our world, God. There are no other options given. Not in the Bible. God, we can say, is the only game in town. There are no others. There's only one God, and that alone is a gigantic truth claim, isn't it? I believe in God. In a culture that pressures us into only scientific ways of believing things, in a culture where secularism is rampant, that affirmation is a pretty strong one. I believe in God. And that is exactly where The creed begins. That's the first words. I believe in God. And that's exactly where the Bible begins, isn't it? In the beginning, God. Today, about half the world believes in one God. Well over half the world believes in the divine. And nearly upwards of 90% of the world believes in something spiritual. A being, a force, something. Atheism, ever since its heyday, has been in decline. And the next generation of millennials, also atheism, finds itself in decline. People are actually more religious today than ever before. Peter Berger, a sociologist back in the 50s, he predicted that by the time we reach the 2000s, people would be so scientifically minded, so technological 
in their understanding of the world, so advanced in knowledge that there would no longer be a need for religion. We're deep into the 2000s, and religion plays a more important point in our world than ever before. Over half the world, as you know, in the two largest religions in the world, Christianity and Islam, that's over 3 billion people. That's monotheistic God, by the way, too. And so, this affirmation of God is a strong one, but one that has been believed for thousands of years. Dare we say, if you look at the evidence, dating all the way back to the Sumerians, who were the first civilization that were able to really see that they existed, guess what? Thoroughly religious. Thoroughly religious. So in other words, my point is, when you get humanity, you get God talk. Plain and simple. There are no humans anywhere in the world that you can point to. No society anywhere in the world where God is not talked about. Where God is not believed in. Even in nations, such as communistic nations, that have tried to teach people that there is no God. And even legislatively mandated that people do not believe in God. Religion grows in great numbers. When the USSR fell, all of a sudden, an upsurge of Christianity, which had always existed there. Right now, there may be more Chinese Christians than any other nation in the world. In other words, Christianity may be strongest in China. Guess where else Christianity is growing at a rapid rate, probably the most rapid besides China, is in Iran. You can't stamp it out. Michael Crichton, one of my uh, favorite fictional authors, you remember he's, he's the one who really started, if you like all the um, medical shows that are on TV, you know, and stuff, everybody likes a good medical show, you know, rushing around in the ER. Yeah, he helped create ER. He wrote for them. He was on the cutting edge of bringing in a whole decade's worth of medical shows, much less Jurassic Park and Congo. I mean, come on. Many people don't know, but he was a medical doctor. He was actually trained a medical doctor, but he was an author. He was also trained a sociologist at Harvard. One of the things he said was, you don't have to believe in, you know, the Christian God or a Hindu God, but you have to believe in something that gives meaning to your life. And whatever that belief is, it's religious. It's religious. You have to teach people not to be religious. That's the truth of the matter. And many people, and our culture included, is trying to do just that. No, we believe in God. (laughs) And it is foolishness to believe otherwise. The scripture is clear about this in the Psalms. Only the fool has said in his heart, notice, there is no God. The burden of proof is not on us to prove God, but on those that would say there is no God. That there is no evidence for God. No, there is more evidence for God than against God. In other words, an atheistic position is solely an argument from silence. There is no proof of the non-existence of God. 
but there's overarching proof as we look around. As I, as I watched the sun, it looked like a fire through the trees this morning as it arose from my back porch. As I heard my daughter call my name Daddy, those are all signs that God exists. <laughs> and it affirms what later we'll say, He is the maker of heaven and earth. A denial of the world around us is the only way you get to an atheistic position of God. I would even go as far to say as an agnostic position of God. No, the answers are there. We just don't want to see them. We don't want to come under their authority. It's plain and simple as that. The answers that atheism has given, they're not big enough to deal with our world. They're too boring to explain our world. I mean, have you ever stopped and listened to a strictly scientific understanding of the world? You're just a pile of cells. It's not a very romantic thing to say to someone. A bag of atoms that will leave our world and change into nothing but dust. It's just too boring of an explanation of our world. We intuitively know that when we see a sunset or a sunrise or the Grand Canyon or even a tree in the yard, there is something deeply complex about our world. Someone thought about this. Needless to say, if we go over to Hudson Alpha and all of a sudden start talking to them about genetics and coding, you sound like you're talking to a computer programmer, which is kind of the point, isn't it? Someone, when you back it all up, programmed a bird. We still can't do that, you understand, right? We can follow along with the process and help birds create themselves, but we can't make a tree or a bird. We can participate in the process. No, atheism is too boring of an answer to such a beautiful, all-wonderful world. As C.S. Lewis said, one of my favorite authors in Mere Christianity, he said, my, you know, he was an atheist, right, most of his life, if you don't know. He says, my argument against God was that the universe seemed cruel and unjust, which is oftentimes what you'll find in an argument. But how had I got to this idea of just and unjust. A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Consequently, he drops down, I'm not reading the whole thing, drop down. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning... We should never have found out that it had no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe, and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know it was dark. Dark would be a word without meaning. And I'm saying atheism ultimately is a word without meaning because it uses God even to exist. Theism is God. 
atheism. It can't even exist without using God. As cannot anything in our world. If I could take this mic off, I'd drop it right now. I'm just kidding. Those are all fun arguments and stuff, but the reality is deep in our heart, we know there's a God. And we choose not to know. That's the dangerous part. We can, we can do all the head games, and that's fun. I like to do that. But at the end of the day, it's about the heart. I'm just trying to clear the bushes so you can see God. Everybody puts up these fences so you can't see God. Tear them down, look behind the scenes like Lewis was able to do in his own life. And he said as he was riding in the sidecar of a motorcycle, you know what I'm talking about, like back in World War II, you know which, you know how they had those motorcycles with a sidecar. He was riding in a sidecar, you know, with his brother to the zoo, and it was foggy. He said, by the time we left to the time we got to the zoo, I became a Christian. And so can you. It's that easy. I believe in God. That is the beginning of the creed, and it's the beginning of the Christian life. It is the beginning of all beginnings. This we believe. Kinlaw tells a uh, story um, of a young chaplain at Oxford University that would make a point to get to know his students. And one of the ways he, he would do an interview with them as they were coming into Harvard. I'm sorry, Oxford. And, uh, and he said that on, on these interviews, he would, he would kind of push, you know, hey, we, we have chapel and, you know, we have a nice religious program and some groups that meet and, you know, trying to make sure that they were aware of that. And, and some, some of the students, he said, would awkwardly say, well, you know, thank, thanks for the offer, but, like, I don't believe in God, you know. So he would say this to them. He would say, how interesting. And which God do you not believe in? At which point they would begin to try to explain their atheism. And the chaplain would smile and comment on the fact that he and the student had a lot in common because he didn't believe in that God either. Wherever we find humans, we find God talk. Because wherever we find humans, get this, we find the image of God. You can't look at someone else in the face properly without seeing God deeply embedded in the code of their existence and in the creation of someone eternal. Don't we need that kind of understanding of life in our world today? Not that we're a bag of cells. Here's what St. Paul says. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And then again he says in Ephesians 4, 14 and 15, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father. Notice again, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. 
If the creed were only to say, I believe in God, the creator of heaven and earth, it could easily pass for an Islamic creed that all Muslims could agree with. But as soon as, right in the middle of that first affirmation, you drop the term father, they're out. No. Disrespectful of God. He's not your father. He's God. I'm telling you, these implications from just these few words, we we pass over them and gloss over them with ease and care when in fact we should be shaken to the core about what it's saying and affirming about God. (laughs) Because He is God. And He is the God of the universe. And yet... This is the good news that Jesus brings. He is our Father. In other words, the judge of all the world is our Father. That really changes things. We've already noted the Trinitarian outline of the creed. I believe in the Father and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's the outline of the creed. If the monotheistic affirmation of the creed is big, which it is, it shook the whole world. Moses, we could talk about that for days. We're still affected by the monotheistic way of viewing the world. The reason you even believe in subject-object distinctions is because of a monotheistic understanding of the world. Pantheists don't believe that, which is why magic works. Anyway, it's beside the point. But it is true. No, it's further than just a monotheistic affirmation. It goes to a more personal affirmation that God is Father. And that really shakes up the ground. That cuts off other thoughts about God and specifically makes our affirmation Christian. In other words, based on the teachings of Christ... This idea of God being Father is still shaking our world. Notice, consider the findings of Patrick Fagan at the Heritage Foundation. Over the past 50 years, the rise in violent crime, which is horrific, and we've just, saw, we've just seen some more of that, parallels the rise in families abandoned by fathers. High crime neighborhoods are characterized by concentrations of families abandoned by fathers. They're neighborhoods with no fathers. A 10% increase in the percentage of children living in single-parent homes leads typically to a 17% increase in juvenile activity and crime. The rate of violent teenage crime corresponds with the number of families abandoned by fathers. The type of aggression and hostility demonstrated by a future criminal often is foreshadowed in the unusual aggressiveness of a five or six-year-old in a broken home. But notice this. Even in crime-ridden inner-city neighborhoods, well over 90% of children who are from a safe, stable home do not become delinquents. 
percent. They're not nobody's saying they have a fantastic marriage. It's just stable and safe in the home. Ninety percent of them don't become the statistics I just listed out for you. By contrast, only 10% of the children from unsafe, unstable homes in these neighborhoods avoid crime. Jack, Carrie, others of you have been to prison filled with men and women with no father around. They say, okay, it's not Father's Day, big guy. What's going on? Get to the point. I'm saying... We even have the term father because of the father in heaven. I had a lady come at me pretty hard and say, don't talk to me about God being father because my father did all these things. It's not even necessarily appropriate from the pulpit to mention. And I said, that just proves what a bad father is. And it ought to prove that there is a good father. In other words, if we can say there's a bad father around, that means we're measuring it by the good father in heaven. There's nothing to measure otherwise. Why would he be bad or good? Who's to say? No, it's grounded in the reality of God himself. I've had people come at me with the idea that we don't need to call God Father because that is too painful for them. We shouldn't use that language for God because it is theologically insensitive and patriarchal. I once read an entire book advocating for that kind of thinking called She Who Is. Our mother in heaven the scripture unequivocally, unashamed, says no, our Father in heaven. Did we not just recite this in the way Jesus taught us to pray by saying our Father? Are we allowed to change God? Is that the order we follow? We form God in our image? Culture forms God in their image? The generation's pressing issues forge God as he adapts? God forbid that any of these words are changed. Translated, yes. Changed, no. Or else we make an idol of God and become idolatrous. Father is who God is. It's not just something he does. It's not a metaphor. It's actually who he is. He is the truth of all fatherhood. That's what Paul is saying when he says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Father is not something in relation to us, but rather before creation, before the beginning. 
between God the Father and God the Son. (laughs) The parent-child relationship, which I happen to like most of the time. The family is an eternal concept. Why do people like family shows so much? This is us, parenthood, whatever else is out there. It's because family means something. Why do people constantly, in looking at culture, say that family has to be the bedrock, the foundation of all of society? It's because the idea of family does not come from humans. But God, who is a divine family. Whoo! As they say, we're in the the high weeds right now, right? In the deep end. This is an eternal concept. People come from families. Every person you've ever met comes from a family. Whether broken or stable. That's because God does too. And He defines family. He defines parenthood. He defines marriage. He defines male-female. He defines the boundaries of sexuality. He defines, put whatever you will, the truth of math. Who's the greatest mathematician? The one who came up with it. Who's the greatest scientist? Who's the greatest biologist? Who's the greatest speaker? Who's the greatest lover? It's God. He created it all, which is what the creed affirms. The biblical data is overwhelming. Over 170 times in the Gospels alone is Father mentioned. Jesus did not make a mistake. We either submit to that or we submit to something else. There is no other game in town. Jesus comes affirming that God is not just a distant high God, you know, absent father. There's this, as you know, I teach, I teach um, world religions. There's this funny Zambian, well, it's funny to me, Zambian myth where, you know, they're explaining why the high God, which the high God is never around in, in tribal religions, right? He's always gone off somewhere. He created everything, but he's gone now like an absent father. And the reason he left is because a woman was sweeping her house and she lifted up her broom and hit him in the eye and he got mad and left. It's a true story. Well, it's a mythical true story. No, God hasn't left. Instead, he sent his son. And humanity said, we reject you. And humanity today says, we reject you. But not us Christians. We say, this is what we believe. We may take flack for it. We may not understand it all. But we believe in God. The Father Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth. Jesus, after his resurrection. Remember Mary comes looking for him in the garden. And she thinks she sees the gardener, but it's really him. They have this beautiful conversation and where he says, Mary. And when he says her name, she immediately understands it's Jesus. Resurrected. And then there's this beautiful piece where he says this. 
do not hold to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This is Jesus giving her, Mary, a promise for all of us. And that is, we can call God Father. My Father. Your Father. He shares the relationship that He has had with the Father from all eternity. He now opens it up completely to any human who would. That is good news, friends. (laughs) That is fantastic news for us. Here's Jesus using the language for God that no one is willing to use. In other words, it would have been blasphemous for a Jew to call, just flippantly call God Father. And Jesus goes further and calls him Abba, which means Daddy. People, every time he said that... I mean, remember the Jews had lost the word Yahweh, whatever, we just call it the Tetragrammaton because it's just made of four letters. They have no idea, nobody, even to this day, knows how to pronounce it. Nobody even knows how to spell it. Why? Because they, they guarded it so much that it was lost. They never said it. Every time they come to it, they had so much respect for it that it was lost. Here's Jesus. He comes and says, I'll tell you who God is. God. Is my father. I came from him. I'm going back to him. We've had a relationship from all eternity. And now he's your father because of what I'm about to do. And who I'm about to send. And you're going to be adopted into the family. And have all the privileges that I enjoy. As God. And as God's son. That's deep. I don't know if anybody's listening, but that is like, that's big time right there. That's huge, okay? So, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty. He's Almighty, but He's a Father. He's a good Father. And He created all things which makes Him the prototype, the original, and us, the ectype, the copy. Which is exactly what Genesis says, isn't it? We are his image. Not the other way around. We don't form him, he forms us. And we are to conform to him. And this is what Jesus comes to offer. This is what we believe. This is what the Bible says. And we believe it with all of our hearts. So... In conclusion, do we need the Holy Spirit to change our response when we hear Father? Because some of us, rightfully so, have an issue with that term Father because of what our earthly Father did. But let me tell you, the reason we know that that was bad and wrong and evil was because there actually is a good Father who loves you and accepts you. Hey, Bob. Hey, Bob. We got something going on, big guy. Uh, strobe, right? Strobe light, you know. Thanks, Bob. Um, he accepts you. He loves you. And he's given 
everything that he has to you. And it's yours in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's good news. That's good news for all of whether we had a good dad or not. I'm one of the few people in the world, I guess, that has just an outstanding dad. Many people love my father and admire him. When he preaches somewhere, people just love him, you know. Uh, way more than my preaching. I've always been in his shadow. And that's, I, I used to not like that. You know, I would be known by him. You know, people would introduce, hey, this, oh, you're, you're Hal's son, you know. You say, I get on my nerves. But now, it's an honor to be in his shadow. It's an honor, Truly. And one of the privileges I have in life, I'm only one of two who can do this, is to call Hal Dag, Daddy. Daddy, got a problem with the van, which is true right now. Daddy, I got a problem with my air conditioner, which was true until $400 later. Daddy, Daddy, I need you. I call, I call it, even at 36, I call the guy, Daddy. And not many people can do that. But God, the Father, He says, call me Daddy. Call on me. Call me to your rescue. Call me for help. He's more than eager to help. And here we are like a kid just struggling through and all the while, He loves you more than you can imagine. And has already proven his love for us. We are privileged that God is our father. Are we enjoying the true benefits of that relationship? If not, we can start today because his arms are open. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.